Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third-tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome, everybody, to Self-Storage Income. We have had a busy self-storage week. Been running around, looking at deals, expansions underway, Um it has been a good one, and it's a great one for this week's topic. We are going to walk through and show you how to identify and what to look for to get a good storage deal. So what makes a storage deal with a lot of upside potential, where to identify the upside potential. So when you're out there looking at facilities when you've, even if you're getting started, you're looking at to buy more, or you're looking to improve your current existing storage facility, what makes a good deal, and where does that upside come from, and how do I identify it? As always, I have my co-host, Connor, with me. How you doing, man? Doing awesome. Doing awesome. Like you said, we've just been running around, getting things done, taking care of business. It's been it's, busy. Uh, yeah, it's been a great week so far. It's only Tuesday. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I'm taking off. I'm actually, we're... Uh, doing this one right now and I'm wrapping up and I am headed to uh, California to meet with the storage association and looking at everything from technology to uh, lots of other stuff. I went through a portfolio we were looking at buying this morning. Um, I think we're going to pass up on that one. Um, I've had a couple portfolios come across our desk that uh, we've turned down. Um, But we did have one that came across our desk a couple weeks ago. It's under contract. And we went and checked it out yesterday and um, going to be moving forward on that. There's there's some good upside and great potential in that. It's funny because when we, when we talk about that, I, I don't know how many of our listeners know, but, um, we, you know, I for a, for a quality, good upside deal in storage for me, I have um, maybe a little higher standards probably than normal. I would um, say so. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we expect uh, – I want to say internal rate of return, but those that have listened know my problems that I have with that that calculation. So I'm just going to say basically a cash-on-cash return of around 20%. That's what I'm looking to make. Um, Now, with that said, I'm not a fund, so I don't need to buy 10, 15 a year. Um, I guess I would like to if I could have a good option. But if I buy a few storage facilities a year, I'd like to, you know, grow a million square feet in the next couple of years. So if I could grow in three years, another million square feet, uh, that'd be great. Um, but I specialize in value add and finding underperforming properties, turning them around and increasing those cash flows. So today we're going to talk about what to look for and how to identify those things. Sweet. I'm excited, man. I'm really excited to walk through it with you. I know um, all of our facilities are are a perfect example of what to look for, how to make everything work, how to bring bring in those value adds. And and again, like we've talked in other podcasts and, and like you've mentioned on the YouTube channel videos and things like that, where it's it, you're not going into a facility or an investment ever and just expecting the market or 
these exterior factors that you have no control over to dictate your returns. You're going in, you're producing that known return and expecting that and, and working towards that, which which is just awesome. So I'm, I'm excited to walk through it with you. Yeah, and, and that's a good point to, I think, start this out and make how we look for facilities. We bought them in, in all sorts of different kind of marketplaces, mostly strong second tier, but I've been third tier, first tier. We look at them everywhere. We buy them everywhere. Um, and the returns that we get are not really dependent. It's not like we have one market that's been going up double digit or something like that. That's not how we calculate our returns. That's not how we look at our returns. Um, we expect us to stabilize that asset within a year, two at the very most, and be achieving those returns upon stabilization of what we bring to the table and what we do. So we're extracting that value out of it. Um, we don't We don't expect the market to deliver us those returns. Right, exactly, exactly. So let's dive in, man. Uh, what makes a good storage deal? So, you know, I think it's funny. Starting out, a lot of people would say, well, we have this parameter. It has to be X. There has to be on X street and this size population with this demographic. I, I don't necessarily do that. I don't go say, here's my four markets I'm looking for. I'm buying in in there. Um, I am very much more deal-based. Yes, the macro and the micro need to coincide to me. I'm obviously not going to buy a facility in a region or location that... I think is going to perform poorly, but I don't um, also have regions where I'll go in and I will buy a facility in that because I believe in the strong economics. And I think this is counterintuitive than a lot of people. You have some regions and cities that they may say, listen, I really want to be in this market. So we're going to go build in, in, in that market. Um, that's great if that's the way they do it. If it works for them, that's awesome. That's not how we do it. Um, and let me explain why. We do have markets that we would love to be in, but I need the specific individual location and the asset. Um, and two, we build, um, we convert, we um, expand, but I really like buying and turning around facilities, right? If I could do that all day, obviously my I'd assume most people would because it's it's easier. You're buying the cash flow, the existing cash flow. You're getting it coming in the door, and then you increase it. So there, it's a lot lower risk, but still you're not taking away the upsides. Now, there's not as much equity upsides as there is with, like, development. Um, and we'll talk about development and development and conversions and what makes those deal good, good in another time. This is not one of those things. So th this podcast... Today, we're talking about specifically extracting that value from a current existing asset to reach the marks that we want to and we get. Now, when we're looking at a marketplace, we'll start with a macro and kind of go down what I'm looking for. Um, when we're looking at a market overall, I do expect a growth, but what I'm really looking at is competition within that market. So... Um, markets that are overbuilt, I just can't, there's nothing I can do about that, right? So if a market's overbuilt, it doesn't matter what I do, prices are going to go down. And for uh, people that are looking in overbuilt markets that don't have a ton of experience, what does that mean exactly if they're looking to invest? If it's super overbuilt and they go and invest in that market, what are the chances of them succeeding? It, so you're, you're trying to identify or differentiate yourself from the assets that are coming in. Um, 
and those assets may be operated by large REITs, um, regional players, or mom and pops that have no debt. And so you're trying to wedge in a competitive advantage into that market. Um, and that can be very hard to do in the storage industry. And I see lots of people that say, well, my box is different than his box. But at the end of the day, it's a box. And uh, you may come in and say there's less climate controlled. We'll do that, which can be a great way to go about it, a great way to hedge, offering different product types. But in most markets that are overbuilt, you're getting a combination of the two. And markets can get overbuilt for a long period of time. Why we're even more particularly nervous currently about overbuilt markets is we are at the top of a market cycle. So we are somewhere in the realms. I don't time markets. I don't want to. But we all know we haven't had a recession for a decade more than a decade, and they come around. So we just are more careful. And when we underwrite it, we don't anticipate the economy to do great for another five years straight. It would be silly for us to think that. If it happens, great, but we don't plan on it. So with that said, going into an overbuilt market, I'm very a lot more skeptical um, because you have a decelerating rate price as opposed to appreciating race price. So if I'm going to turn around a facility, it's like catching a falling knife and trying not to get cut. Um, there's just a lot more risk. So when I go into a market that is a stabilized, good occupancy, but not a lot of good players, and I can go talk to the city, and I can see, you know, oh, excuse me. Need more of that Red Bull, dude. I do need more of that Red Bull. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those days. Um, I can see what is coming into the marketplace and I can ask them what's permitted, what's being built. I can look at the land in a three to five mile radius of that existing facility. Buying an existing facility also hedges for overbuilt market because you already have customers in the door. Um, so when I look at an existing facility, I'm looking, I think, first of all, location, because that's one of the things I can't change. Okay. So when I'm identifying what we think is a good, strong value add um, facility, Location is one of those items that I can't change, so it needs to meet that criteria. And by location, what I mean is it can't be at the end of a cul-de-sac off some main road that has no visibility, um, that isn't people can't find easily via their cell phone. Um, and it has to be in a good area. I don't want it to be in a scary area. Um, and it needs to have some good good traffic, right? It, it needs to be well accessible. Main road, I like people to have to go there for some reason aside from my storage facility. The only reason you need to go down that road is for the storage facility. There's something wrong. Um, so those are some of the things we look at when going into a market. Now, the thing that I don't look at necessarily is a sustainable population size. Now, you need to remember, too, this is my own personal stuff, right? This may be different from funds, things like that. I'm investing my own money. We do JVs. We'll do partners. Um, we're looking at um, working maybe with a syndicator who's just a friend of mine, wanted to put some money in. But other than that, um, I'm risking my own money, and that does change how you do things. Oh, for sure. So I can maybe go into markets that you, know, you don't want to put other investors in. So you may be trading security for returns. Now, with that said, I'm not going into markets. None of the markets I'm in is not growing, and none of them are not healthy, good second-tier markets. 
Um, but I'm identifying more the asset. So the operations and the asset itself is where I get my performance because I'm buying assets that the owners are hands off. They're what is called mom paws, right? And the operations are almost non-existent. Like they're doing business, but they're, it's, it's not proactive. So if somebody comes in the door, asks for the rate, here's our rate for a 10 by 10, and I'll put them in. Um, they look and fill mom and pa. Most of the times they have been let, left to the local manager to run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's kind of like the, the uh, well, it's exactly like the property that we visited yesterday. Um, and that's exactly how it's run. Exactly. Yeah. The owners don't come around. Wait, what'd she say? They come to collect the check every once in a while? <laughs> that yeah, was something like, like that, it, literally. <laughs> and she, she's been there for eight years, this manager, and didn't even know up until recently who the actual owner was. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that's crazy. Yeah. Exactly. That's how hands off they are. Yeah. And we have done this with all sorts of facilities. That That's probably the main one we go to. Other ones that we go to, we, we'll look at developers that are in trouble. Um, developers, for some reason, think that um, they've got some extra land. They're going to throw a storage facility up on it because it's easy, cheap material. Um, well, they think it is. Yeah, they think it is. <laughs> and um, that, that has been a great source of acquisition for us for probably 35% of our facilities have been from developers that put it on their land. And, and the performance was not only not there, um, they were almost, in, they were, one of them, they were in trouble. They stopped paying the bank and taxes because they couldn't afford it anymore. Oh, geez. Um, so we'd go up and buy those. Um, and those, those are people that, once again, just expect somebody to drive by and use it at a certain price. We believe we're going to have lots more of uh, these kind of facilities to acquire because they're building them at costs that are extremely high in this marketplace today because we believe storage facilities are business. They're not a real estate asset. So when we come in, we're looking at things like low adverti- uh, advertising fees. We're looking at everything from... Um, you know, repairs and maintenance that can be done to improve the overall uh, value of the property in the customer's mind. So that perceived value. So when they walk in the door, we act more like a franchise than anything. We are um, managers. They have name tags on. They wear a uniform. We have the same colors, the same um, uh, rock and the same look and feel in our facilities. So when you walk in, it's got this key lock. It's a big showroom and we look for facilities that aren't doing sales. They don't do insurance, all these lines of revenues that we can get in. So let me break it down to three pillars that I look at. You have the physical side, right? Some of that we can change, but others we can't. Those part that we can't change is the most important part. If it's a good, in a good location though, and it's a dump, I'll buy it doesn't matter. So uh, I can come in and I can dress everything up and change a lot of it. Now, okay, there was a facility, and we were talking about this yesterday. We were looking at, and you need to be aware of this because when you're looking at this first uh, facility, when you're looking at a real estate asset, there are some things that can't be changed. This facility that we had been looking at, this was a long time ago, four years ago, it was built on top of a old logging like um, ground and it was built on sawdust. The buyer didn't or the seller did not want 
to really acknowledge the problem. We made him, and that required a survey to be done, which he was not willing to do, which would require them to dig in, to go down, and see the effects that the sawdust, because it was, I mean, we're talking something like seven feet of sawdust it was sitting on. Well, if you know anything about construction, you lay buildings, cement, and everything on seven feet of sawdust. The sawdust rots. All of a sudden, your buildings start collapsing. So we were obviously not comfortable with this. He was having a hard time selling it, got away. He was so mad about it, he left the broker that we were working with, went and found another broker, and sold it to someone that had never been told about the sawdust. Um, those are problems you can't really solve very well. You can. What they would have to do is they'd have to come in and inject um, um, cement underneath it right, to stabilize the buildings, but that is something that you have to pay for, and it's not cheap. So until we could get a handle on the cost of doing that, we obviously couldn't go into contract and buy it, because I didn't know if it was a million or 500,000, and he didn't want to allow us to. So physical asset side, there's the parts you can control and the parts you can't. I look for controllables, paint, fixer-uppers, right, where I can come in. Now, with that said, we have uh, Hayden right now that we're working on. We tore down the entire front office, including buildings in the middle. We're reconstructing some buildings in the front office to make it dress it up. Most of the time, we're just doing facelifts, though. You're resealing new paints, big open blowout walls. So the first pillar, the physical thing, I'm looking for something that doesn't look very valuable. In fact, it looks maybe scary. The second portion that I'm looking for is operations. We all know the manager that comes back from their living room says, hey, what do you want? Right? That's the service to them. Operations are you pay, you bring your money in here, and you get a 10 by 10, and we'll call it good, and maybe you have gate access. That's, that's great. We like that. We like to buy it so we can clean it up, make it look be better, provide excellent service. Right? So all, now all of a sudden, there's ways to collect late fees. There's good technology in there. So we start doing marketing and advertising. We're getting the right people in. Okay? So the first pillar, we change the perceived value. Okay? The second pillar, we try to capitalize on the perceived value by instituting marketing capabilities that draw in the right kind of people. So then all of a sudden, we have more demand that we're increasing. We change the perceived value of the service that is being given to them, which is real real service, right? Um, and then we start offering lines of coverage, which leads us into our third pillar, and this is the financial side. So as far as the financial side, I need to add insurance, products, services. I'm taking advantage of rate discrepancies within the facility itself. I'm looking for large delinquencies. I'm looking for people like the one we were looking at at 18, or it was 12. Um, yeah, 12 to 18 12 to company 18 units. company units. Yeah. They're just vacant. I call that money that you know they've earned, but they don't collect. So we're looking to increase collections, take that money, increase the, the value of the facility, increase rates, get rid of the bad tenants, use our marketing to get in new tenants at what is currently existing in the marketplace, okay? So the differential of uh, class, you know, uh, C or D product, we're taking to an A product and we're increasing the prices with that. We can almost always do that within a year, two at the most. Um, the, differ the difference from our operating more like a class A, B asset and that C and D asset is dramatic. Um, the revenue associated from those assets is huge, and, and it, it's very different from the cost to complete those activities. Most of the time, it's just the cost of work. It's the cost of training managers, firing those 
old managers, getting new managers in if they can't uh, make it, in, in, in instituting the policies, procedures, operating it like a business, bringing in marketing technology on the back end, dynamic pricing, and um, to getting customers out that shouldn't be there, people that don't pay, people that want to be at a class D facility. You need to leave. So we we really turn the facility around, we bring it up, and we're able to dramatically increase the revenues from there. Um, those were all things that we think we can do at this facility we were just looking at. Um, from those activities, what we take is this framework of, an, of a class A facility that we have, that we know that we get out of our current facilities and that in this marketplace are currently, uh, you're currently receiving, and we take that model and we and overlay it to the current existing asset. At that operational performance, that spits out a revenue. This revenue is known. I have a facility a mile down the road that is actually accomplishing that today. The difference between its current status and the new revenue flow from the new model is 20 plus percent return on my money. We buy it, we turn it around, and we get it to existing, not hope and future. Anything, markets go up, rate increases, all that kind of stuff on top of leveling out the current rates. Um, that's all cherry on top. But the spread between existing and what is known is 20 plus percent cash on cash. And you have control over and that. And we have control over that. 100%. That we will all come in and we will change and we will get that revenue. Um, and we can get that quickly in this facility. So some facilities, it's not quick. Hayden, uh, you know. That it's kind of a project. Is, it's it's a project. <laughs> yeah. We had to deal with the city, things like that. It took a couple of years. That is the longest one. And, and, yeah. and um, now it will be able to justify much higher rate increases. It's all, it's almost a whole entire new – 35% of the entire – no, more than that because we did all the cement work. Every, you're probably at 45% of the entire structure. The facility is new. Mm -hmm. So sure. this one that we're looking at today will not be like that. Capital expenditures are fairly low. We need to redo offices, right. add security cameras. Um, we'll need to work on the gates. Um, but other than that, CapEx is fairly low. We'll probably have a hundred to 150000 at the most into this new facility. Um, yeah, it's very minimal. Very, very minimal. minimal. It, was, it, it was one of those facilities that it, it wasn't like the scary-looking facility. It was mostly that that administrative, that operation side of it that is where the value add is. Yep, you know? exactly. And we were wondering if we could, because it wasn't on the scary side and stuff, it, we were wondering, but it was so hands-off mm -hmm. that there's just a yeah. lot being left on the table. Um, and it's amazing how if you clean up the operations of this asset class, I mean, it's why I love it. It's why I love self-storage. You know, I can operate it as a business. I can come in, and I can get paid for those efforts. I can get paid for running a better business. Um, and that's why I think that there is still tremendous value to be received out of self-storage. And it's value that we can measure, right? I, I never liked the idea of so much investing because you know it's going to pay off in 20 years. Um, it's good. You need to do it. I'm not saying that. But I just hated this idea that you buy something and you get paid almost nothing. But in 20 years, it'll be worth it. Um, I didn't like the unknown, the lack of control. Right. I love self-storage because I can buy an underperforming asset, increase it. I'm getting a great return on my money. Almost all our assets are 100% return. We've either taken our money out or we could. There's millions and millions of equity. We just leave it there. We're not, we're not trying to get it in. And one of the ways is it's, it's 
this is like a professional tip. It's a secret I'm going to share with you all because I'm really excited about it. I know, right? Uh, (laughs) So it's something that we've done, um, and it was a great strategy. It allowed us within two years to get 100% return on our money and still receive a 20% cash-on-cash return. What, What we do, we like to look at is cell towers are very undervalued when you underwrite self-storage assets. And the reason being is the leases can be not only negotiated with, they can be sold. And lots of times you can renegotiate a higher lease with the cell tower providers, and then you can turn around and sell that lease at a multiple for years out, um, which we did. We bought a facility. We put 800000 into it. We ended up selling the cell tower lease a year later for over 600000 And our rental rate increases um, to cover up the difference alone made up double what the cell tower ever provided. And so within two years, every single penny that we put into that facility, we had taken out. And it made it, it provided more money to us on a cash flow basis than the year we bought it. It's incredible. Um, so that is a great way to compound your returns, then take that money and return it back in. So those are the things that we're looking at self-storage. And I don't like the word performance. When a broker shows me a performance, I'm like, I, that means nothing to me. What I do like is looking at my model and overlaying it. The model, We know our expenses. I know what I'm achieving. I know what market prices are. I know where they're missing revenue. I know where they're not. And I overlay that and fill in those gaps. And then that gives me a revenue. And that tells me what I can buy it for. And if I can get a 20% return on that, I, it's great. I, I'm interested. If I can't, um, I, I, I don't want to say I'll never buy it. I haven't bought one yet. Um, but there, there'd have to be some compelling reasons why or how I would get that, uh, get that return. For sure, for sure. Well, that's, that's really important, too, because you craft and you create that criteria, that investing criteria that you overlay on everything from, from experience and knowledge and everything else. And to deviate from that at all is, is extremely risky mm-hmm. um, because you're essentially going to uncharted waters in yeah. a way. And, um, and I don't have money I have to allocate. So this yeah. is another problem that people have. You may have investors. You may, you like, you may need to put money to work. So you're like, I, I, I don't get away to year for 20 percent or a 15 percent or two i may not have the team to derive that from and i think this is important when i started out i didn't have those expectations okay um we weren't getting those right uh, we had to change our model we had to change we had to learn how to grow it's but as we've grown as we've gotten better now as i grow too though i have another problem i got to put on more and more assets this is the first one that i bought in a year over a year year and a half um, markets have changed. I used to buy three of them a year that I could get that within two years. Th- that most facilities are raising their rental and prices stuff. So I don't know what the future holds. Um, I know though that our underlying system of turning around facility, identifying um, delinquencies, identifying rate um, discrepancies, identifying a lack of providing value to customers through products, through services, identifying problems that undermine the value of the facility, lack of operations, overspending in areas that they shouldn't, 
a lack of efficient advertising, um, not collecting fees, allowing delinquents. Those things are never going to change. And there's always money to be made when you can improve them. So those things that I just mentioned off, I mean, just take a list of those right there. Start identifying and, and get into the books. One of the things I would say is when identifying the value, don't depend on others. This is really important. Most people don't see, brokers don't see, they don't see the value. And two, the people selling it obviously don't see it or they would have identified it, right? They would be capitalizing on it. Um, so this may mean that a lot of the people that go out to sell their facility on the open market, they have already taken advantage of those discrepancies and they've maximized it. Now they're trying to sell it. So you may have to look in other avenues. You may have to knock doors. You may have to be more targeted. And there's a lot of pressure, right? So, um, but it's out there. We get it. We still get it. Um, and I th that's the great thing about this industry. Once again, 70 plus percent of the industry are mom and pause. There's a lot of poorly operated facilities out there in good markets that you can extract this value that we're listing out, that you can actually underwrite it and the spread of that underwriting is well over a 10% return and has a short-term potential of much, much more. Right, right. Well, I think it's it's just extremely, extremely important to have that uh, that criteria. And like you said, it's been a year and a half since you've bought anything. Uh, there's a lot of people that would get anxious and feel like they're not doing anything, especially a lot of people that are investors and entrepreneurs. Like, you know, we always want to be moving, yeah. you know, onto that next deal. Um or project or whatever and, and it's there's a lot to be said about just hanging on to that criteria not deviating from that and only what was it uh was it on what episode did we do just recently that uh we talked about not swinging for only swinging for the good deals oh yes that's was that right on, uh, i can't remember cash if it was cash flow to freedom or this one but that that's right we talked about you know the market um and can't remember who wrote the book. I was reading the book, but the market delivers. Let you know, it was the the analogy of baseball. The market delivers balls, right? Not all of the pitches you're going to want to swing at, right? And I know that. Let's say a curveball. I can't hit a curveball now. Public storage can hit a curveball because they have their debt at you know two and a half percent or three percent, be through bonds that they're not actually instituting debt on the local properties. Um, so that's their curveball because that's their edge in the market. Um, other people have, you know, OPM, other people's money, which they're going to get paid fees on. So they're going to get a 20% return, even if the investors aren't, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't have that either. Um, I have to include a management fee because I'm managing my property also. So I know the pitch that's going to come at that I need to swing at. It doesn't mean I hit it every time, but I've identified that deal. And I know where the value is that I need to create. Create. I think I'm more in line with most people out there. Um, but two, what I'm doing, not only can everyone do, but all the major operators do. This, this, what we're talking about here. This is like, you know, store it. That's their thing. Uh, or it's not store it. Extra space. Extra space. That is their model. Um, and most large operators, that's what they're, and for most people, that's what you're trying to get to too. Um, because what it does is it levels up market fluctuations, right? I don't need to just wait for a market to deliver me a good deal mm -hmm. in good markets and bad markets, 
hot markets, slow markets, I can find underperforming assets and turn them around. And that's where I think everybody should get. Now, you may not be able to get there right now because you're not. So you've got to look at 100 deals where I may need to only look at 20. But you can still find them. They're still out there. And there's still things that, you know, as, as you saw in these deals, you go and these are owners that are just, they're just so not even involved. If you were just involved a little and just tied up loose ends, there's huge upside to, mm-hmm. to, to extract out of these deals. Well, thankfully... Yeah, they didn't. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> they, good, good for thankfully us. for me. But anyways, so I hope you guys all enjoyed that. There's some just some quick hits right there. Look how to extract value. Look for the value in those storage deals. That's how we're currently doing it, a, f- a couple examples, and we'll sh- share more. Uh, but get out there, everybody. Find the value. Go to our YouTube. We also talk about things like um, dynamic pricing um, on there. And that's self storage, um, uh, self storage income um, on YouTube. And uh, two, we have a website. Um, you can go there. There's not a lot on there except the podcast and the YouTube. So you can get your email and to get like newsletters and stuff like that. Thanks everybody for joining. Hope you enjoyed this.